stranger. And you invited me in. I was sick. And you looked after me. I needed a teacher. And you inspired me. I was lost. And you prayed for me. I was addicted. And you helped me break free. I needed a mentor. And you were there for me. I felt alone. And you showed me true community. You helped me experience the joy of worship. You made me feel welcome and safe. You gave me the strength to keep going. You led me to Jesus. So good morning. You know, this video is a great reminder on why we're here. Because we're here to transform lives through the saving power of Jesus Christ. And we do that by being his hands and feet to everyone that we come in contact with. You don't need a special talent. You don't need a PhD to do that. You just need a willing heart. We need a willing heart to sacrifice And today we're going to wrap up our study on the book of Colossians. As you know, we've been in this study for several months now. And I want to let you know that I've really, really enjoyed this study with all of you. It's been an amazing blessing to be able to preach through our first book, verse by verse, together. And so today culminates that study. And I truly believe that throughout this study, God has given us exactly what we need in fulfilling His purpose for this church. And at the heart of it all, is unity it's unity we must all be united together as one because there's one God and there is one enemy and we are one family and all of us have a role to play in that family and we have one purpose and that purpose is to be a disciple of Jesus who becomes a disciple maker for Jesus that was the foundation for our study of Colossians that's what led into this study And then we built upon that foundation. We built upon that foundation of unity. And in the first message in this series, we talked about what makes for an alive and healthy church. We said there were seven characteristics that go to make an alive and healthy church. The first was compelling faith. That's the kind of faith that is contagious. It's the kind of faith that draws people in. Compassionate love. That's a love that takes action. We don't just say it. We actually show it. That's compassionate love. Confident hope, because that's where our faith and our love actually come from, is from our confident hope. We should all have that hope of that inheritance that we one day are going to receive because of our faith in Jesus. And that should lead us to change lives. Because a true salvation experience will always result in a changed life. 
committed leaders, faithful servants who lovingly and selflessly lead and serve with humility. Constant prayers, because remnant people are praying people. And continual appreciation, always giving thanks to God. Those are the seven characteristics of an alive and healthy church. So if I were to just to boil down this entire study into a couple of sentences, it's like this. You've got two bookends. And on one end, you've got the bookend of what makes for an alive and healthy church. And on the other side, on the other bookend, that's what we're going to cover today. Because this is the critical element that we're going to talk today. It's the final element that a church needs to successfully fulfill its purpose. And in the middle of all that is our responsibilities as Christians and how we're to live our lives for Jesus Christ. That is the book of Colossians. Okay? So as I read the words that Paul spoke in this letter to the Colossians in chapter 4, I want you to see if you can pick out that final element that a church needs to fulfill its purpose. See if you can see it. Uh, I will tell you this is a long text, so bear with me, okay? We're going to be in verses uh, 7 through 18 of chapter 4. So if you don't have a Bible with you, you're welcome to pick one up here on the shelf, or you can follow along up on the screen. So Paul says here, beginning in verse 7, he says, Tychicus will give you a full report about how I'm getting along. He is a beloved brother and a faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we're doing and to encourage you. I am also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychicus will tell you everything that's happening here Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings. And so does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Jesus, the one we call Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among my co-workers. They are working with me here for the kingdom of God. And what a comfort they have been. Hang in there with me. We're getting there. Have you seen it yet? Nope. Okay. Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you're following the whole will of God. I can assure you that he prays hard for you and also for the believers in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings and so does Demas. Please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. After you have read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. And you should read the letter I wrote to them. And say to Archippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. Remember my chains. May God's grace be with you. Okay, we got through it. So, did anyone see the final thing that a church needs in order to successfully fulfill its purpose? Anyone see it? Unification, pulling together, definitely part of it. Discipling, definitely a part of it. Anyone see it? All right, I'm going to let you off the hook, because you know what? I didn't see it either when I first read this. When I first read this, I thought to myself, what in the world am I going to preach on? Because I read this at first glance. You know, when you look at this, you're tempted to just want to skip right over it. Because it seems like that it's just a bunch of names that Paul's talking about. A bunch of names that really don't mean a lot to us. As a matter of fact, Paul mentions ten people specifically by name in that passage that I just shared with you. 
But there's actually one consistent theme that reigns true in this passage. And it also reigns true as the final thing that a church needs in order to successfully fulfill its purpose. And it's teamwork. That's what it is. It's teamwork. Church is a team effort. It takes an army of people united together to carry out the work God expects for us to do. That's why today we're going to talk about the need for all of us to team up. We've got to team up. Effective ministry is not possible without an effective team. As amazing as it is to see the Apostle Paul's faith in action, one thing that we know from sh- for sure from this text today is that he was not alone. He was not alone. He had help. And the best part about the help that he had was that they were ordinary people who helped to fulfill an extraordinary ministry while serving an extraordinary Savior. They were real and ordinary people just like you and me. They didn't necessarily have special abilities or uh, talents. They didn't necessarily have a formal education or specific credentials of any kind, but they all had one thing in common. They had a willing heart, a heart that wanted to see lives transformed by the gospel. So I want to show you today right from the text how they teamed up together to change the world. Because if we team up in unity as they did, and as God's word says that we should, we too can change the world. But it all starts right here in the city of Missoula. Don't think for a moment that God birthed this church out of convenience so that we could all come together as a family and be cozy and complacent. No, not at all. We exist so that we can make an impact for his kingdom. But we can only do that if we team up. we got to team up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We pray, Jesus, that you'd give us ears to hear today. And may those, what we hear today, actually translate in our heart and cause us to actually act upon it. So I pray this in your mighty name. Amen. So let's begin in verse 7 and see the words that Paul uses to describe Tychicus here. He says he is a beloved and faithful helper who serves with me. Now, a good team member, a good team has team members who are faithful helpers. By the word faithful, it means they are consistently reliable. They're steadfast. They're devoted. They're fully committed. They're trustworthy helpers. And Paul says Tychicus serves with me. The King James renders this as Tychicus is a fellow servant in the Lord. I love the meaning here. A fellow servant means they are co-laborers. In other words, they are equal and are in the same conditions before the Lord. This is very, very important. It's a really important point here because too often people think that one position in the church is more important than another. And Paul is clearly saying here, he's saying, hey man, we're in this together. We are fellow servants. We serve the same Lord together. And this is the essence of what it means to be in ministry. We serve the Lord God Almighty and we serve each other. And to serve means we're going to have to make sacrifices. You and I are going to have to sacrifice. We don't get caught up in titles or who's in what position or any of that or if one position is more important than another. There is plenty of work to be done. And we simply need to be faithful helpers who serve because we're fellow servants in the Lord. And by the time we get to verse 11 in our text, Paul has mentioned five names. Tychicus, 
Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice. And in verse 11, he says this, They are working with me here for the kingdom of God, and what a comfort they have been. Notice Paul didn't say they are working for me. He said they're working with me. That's a great point to see here. Once again, Paul is saying it takes a team to do the work of ministry, a team that works together, a team whose sole purpose is focused on the kingdom of God. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 4, that just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We in this church are many parts of one body, the body of Christ, and we all belong to each other. God made us to be interdependent, not, not independent, but interdependent. Think of your human, your human body. What good is a hand or a foot, right? if it's not connected to the body. You ever thought about that? If you dropped your hand over there, would it be any good to anyone? No, of course not. It's got to be connected to the body. And the same is true in the body of Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, that a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. You and I each have spiritual gifts that God has given to each of us to use to bring Him glory by serving Him and by serving each other. And I can assure you of this, that benchwarming is not a spiritual gift. It's not. It is not a spiritual gift. We've got to get in the game. We've got to team up. We don't want you here to just warm a seat. We want this church to be your home. We want this church to be your family. Because as Christ followers, you are uniquely qualified. This is the time of year when we think of gift giving and gift receiving. And it's no accident that this message is perfectly timed, as has been so many others. We've been talking about leading up to Christmas. The greatest gift that was ever given to this world was Jesus Christ, right? Think of all the gifts that God has given you, even aside from just Jesus. He's given you special gifts that you can use for His glory. We've got to lean into that. God knows exactly what is needed for this church and when. He has given you each gifts to be used for His glory. And when we use His gifts for His glory in the way He's designed it, it is an incredibly beautiful thing. But we've got to be working together. We've got to team up. There is so much work to be done for the kingdom and to be an effective church that successfully fulfills its purpose, we have got to team up. Listen to me now. The enemy will try to make you think that you don't have anything to offer. The enemy will try to make you think, nah, don't worry about it. There are plenty of other people who are helping. You're not needed. He does that over and over again. He'll make you think that you can be self-sufficient, but he's a liar. Because you're not self-sufficient. You're actually self-deficient. If you really step back and think about it, you're self-deficient. We need a team around us. That's exactly how God designed the body of Christ. So you are needed, and you're wanted. But too often, ministry feels like a spectator sport, where a select few do the work while the rest look on and enjoy the benefits. That's not how God designed the body of Christ. We weren't made to just be consumers We were made to be contributors. We all have a role to play in the body of Christ. Don't think for a moment that you're not needed because nothing can be further from the truth. Now, at the end of verse 11 in our text, Paul emphasizes what a comfort his team has been to him. 
comfort. If you're filling in your blanks on your notes, that's one that you can fill in, comfort. The Greek word that's used for comfort here is not seen anywhere else in the Bible. This is the only place that it's used. Now, I won't even try to pronounce this Greek word because, man, it is a doozy. But it's where we get the English word paragoric from. Paragoric is a soothing medication. So the idea here that Paul is conveying is that a ministry team is like a soothing medication where they provide relief from the strains and stresses of all the work that they're doing together. Now, we need to ensure that we're being a comfort and not a complainer. When we complain, it's actually the opposite of comfort. Instead of being like a soothing medication, we're actually being more like a salt in an open wound. You ever had that happen? How about lemon juice on a paper cut? That's what it's like when we're complaining. We should be comforting, not complaining. So we don't complain. We comfort. And when we comfort, we actually contribute. It's so encouraging when you're surrounded by a team of people who actually help take the pressure off, who provide relief, who provide encouragement to each each other. So are you a paragoric Christian? Do you ease the pain or the burden of others? Are you soothing to be around? Ministry is hard work, and it takes each of us working and functioning within the body of Christ as God designed it, using the gifts he's given for his glory for us to truly be effective. Now, ministry, plain and simple, is all about serving one another, helping transform lives as people get connected to and grow in Jesus. As we team up, we should all be working to be a comfort to one another. And then Paul continues in our text in verse 12. He says, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. To team up and to team up well, it's going to take lots of prayer. Lots of prayer. Prayer is the backbone of ministry. It's the backbone of ministry. It's absolutely essential. And the English text here does not capture the criticality of what Paul is conveying here with prayer. It doesn't. The Greek words that Paul used to describe how Epaphras prayed, they're military terms. Laboring earnestly comes from the Greek word agonizomai. It's where we get the English word agony from. And in this context, it meant to wrestle in hand-to-hand combat. And the Greek word that's used for deep concern was used to describe the pain of struggling in battle. So what Paul was doing here is he was emphasizing the level of effort that Epaphras was engaged in through his prayers. Both these Greek words that Paul used are simply to illustrate that ministry is no picnic. It's not a picnic at all. One commentator said this about Epaphras. He said, quote, For Epaphras, prayer was not a game. It was a battle. He prayed continually, fervently and with purpose aware of what the colossians were facing he knew their need was to grow into maturity in christ in order to continue to resist the alluring lies of the false teachers end quote when we serve the lord we choose to engage in spiritual warfare that's how serious ministry is and that's why we desperately need prayer prayer is the means to call in spiritual reinforcement did you know that When you're in battle and you're in the thick of it, did you know you always can call in spiritual reinforcement? We call our Heavenly Father, don't we? 
We always need those lines of communication open and fully engaged to do effective ministry. And so the word says at the end of verse 12 in our text that Epaphras prayed to the Colossians to stand perfect and be fully assured in all the will of God. To stand perfect means to be mature. Epaphras was praying for the people to be spiritually mature. When we're spiritually mature, we show wisdom and discernment. And we also show the fruits of the Spirit in our lives. But one of the greatest signs of spiritual maturity is our faithfulness. And it's faithfulness that Paul is really emphasizing in our text. It's how he referred to Tychicus and Onesimus earlier in our text. Do you remember? He said they were faithful, beloved brothers. And it's also implied of Aristarchus and Mark and Justice and Luke, who we also mentioned. This is exactly what the Lord God wants from us, faithfulness. To be fully assured in all the will of God is to be faithful. It's so easy to get caught up in all kinds of other reasons to serve or to not to serve in the church. But it all comes down to faithfulness. How faithful are you? How faithful are you to use the gifts God has given you? How faithful are you to serve in the body of Christ as God has so perfectly designed it? How faithful are you to help, support, pray for, and to serve others within the body of Christ? We have to team up. We've got to team up. Now, Paul continues in verse 16 by saying that after they have read this letter, they are to pass it on to the church at Laodicea. It's the words pass it on that really jump out at me. Paul was exhorting the Colossian church to not be inwardly focused but they were to pass it on. And you see, that's a temptation of every church that's out there, is to be inwardly focused, is to create all kinds of programs and create all kinds of, of, of hoopla about what's going on inside the church. And it's, I'm not, I'm not uh, hating on that kind of stuff. That's great to have those things, but we've got to be outwardly focused. We've got to be pushing out and passing on what Jesus has given us through his word. We should be passing on the truth to others. So Paul was exhorting the Colossian church to not be inwardly focused, but to pass it on. This is the essence of discipleship. We pass on what we've learned. That's why we're so focused on discipleship, this 2-7 discipleship curriculum, this being rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as we were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. That's Colossians chapter 2, verse 7. That is the hinge pin for our discipleship program right there. We've got to pass on what we've learned. We've got to pass on the truth of Jesus Christ. This was the same message that Paul conveyed to young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-2. through 2. He said this, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now, teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. We cannot miss how important passing on these truths is. This is our purpose as a church, to become disciples of Jesus, who become disciple makers for Jesus. And it takes a willing heart to do this, a heart that is willing to sacrifice, to see lives transformed by the power of God. Now, the final thing that I want to emphasize from our text today is what Paul boldly says to Archippus. He says, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord God gave you. 
This statement is nearly the exact same thing that Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. And it's the same thing that I'm going to say to you today. Whatever God has given you, use it for his glory. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill what he's calling you to do. Because let's face it, you're the only one who can fulfill what God has called you to do specifically. Because you and I fit into the body of Christ with a specific function. And if I don't perform my function or you don't perform your function, it's not going to get done. And that's going to be to the detriment of the church, the body of Christ. So don't leave the work that he's calling you to do unfinished. Team up and get it done. God has given us each other and all the tools that we will need to fulfill our ministries together. Now, you're not here in this remnant family by accident. You're not here by accident. So to fulfill the purpose that God has for this church, we have got to team up. And the real measure of our success in ministry will be how faithful we are to carry out the work that God has given each of us to do. And we can't do this alone. We can't do this alone. We need help in the same way Paul had help. He had a team around him. They were united, and they were ordinary people just like you and me. They were faithful and helped each other and served together. And they were a comfort to one another. Prayer was their lifeline. And they kept their eyes on their mission of passing on the good news of Jesus Christ while fulfilling their ministry. And it all started for them with a willing heart. A heart willing to sacrifice, to see lives transformed. How about you? Are you willing? Are you willing to team up? Now, there are plenty of areas that we need your help in. I've got several of them here listed on the screen. There's all kinds of areas for you to help in this church. Now, I'm not going to be able to go over every single one of these, but let me just touch on a few of them. We need a prayer team. We need people who are faithful to pray for the needs within this church. That could be you. We need people to serve in the kids' ministry. You see the names here. Little Lights Nursery. We've got a lot of people that have signed up for that. Campfire Kids, which is our, our uh, kind of junior kids there. And then you get into the Blaze Youth. We need workers in all those areas. And let's face it, that's the next generation. If you look at what's happening in the world today, you can see that the enemy is poised and he is attacking our youth. We've got to take this back. We've got to take our youth back. They are our future leaders. So we should be investing in them, investing time and resources to help grow them, see them spiritually mature. So we need your help. We need your help with that. We need help on the janitorial team. Actually, we just need a janitorial team. We need some people who are willing to come in and prepare the building for service. There's lots to do with that. There's checking supplies in the bathrooms, making sure there's toilet paper and paper towels and there's soap and the bathrooms are clean and the trash has been taken out. All those things, I mean, they're little. But if each of us does our part, it's not really a big deal. Sweeping and mopping. Uh, this front entryway, vacuuming the floors, all of that's part of janitorial. We, we need help. Keeping things stocked. Um, kitchen. We need workers in the kitchen. Same thing, to keep things stocked, to keep things clean. We need people to support the meal train. And I'm so thankful for those that have stepped up and have helped Kimmy and been a blessing to her as she went through surgery and 
you guys have stepped up and provided meals, and we're about to do the same thing for Jody, who's just came home on Saturday night, her and her husband, Norm. And so we need you. We need you to step up and help. There's plenty of areas to serve in this church. These are just some of them here. Some of them we've not even birthed yet. And uh, that's coming down the road. There may be some that aren't listed here that you feel gifted in, you feel called to. So, you know, what I'd like for you to do today is I'd like you to take action from this message. And the action that I'd like for each of you to take is to sign up to serve in some area of the church. Now, a non-serving Christian is a contradiction. That's why we're here. We're here to serve. We are one family, and each of us has a role to play in that family. So we need your help, and we can't do it without you. Now, I'm reminded of one last thing that I want to share. Jesus gave the perfect example for us on how to serve. The Son of God, the King of glory, he washed his disciples' dirty, nasty, stinking feet. He did that as an example. Nothing was beneath him because he came to serve, not to be served, but to serve. He humbled himself. Can you imagine the king of glory washing his disciples' feet like that? That's what you and I need to do with one another. So I'm asking you, are you ready to serve? Let's pray.